I'm Alexandra Kreis and you're listening to Outer Travel in a Journey. Welcome back to my listeners, and I'm sitting down today with Aisha Dai. Welcome, Aisha. Thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. <laughs> so to give you a quick introduction, Aisha is an academic and meditation teacher who has been living in Berlin for about a year. In her academic work, she researches, teaches, and conducts activism around women's health and sexuality on unnecessary medicalizations of women's reproductive services and neoliberal health politics. And this is the very, you know, this is the very reason I somehow got to know Aisha. Um, I'm working in the health system and I am doing alternatively and I'm looking for more practitioners, whichever way they are working, to, to work together. And that's Ahmed Aisha. So Aisha, what brought you to become an activist? Uh, can you, is there a starting point or anything you'd like to tell us about it? On activism? Uh, Not yeah. activism, but many, also the, the background that I just said. You know, you're an academic, you're, you know, very much for women's health as I kind of said just before. So maybe you want to elaborate a little bit. Where does that curiosity come from? <laughs> yeah, the curiosity um, started in my um, graduate school um, when I was doing actually human development family studies program in the US, uh, which is more like psychology, sociology mix. But somehow I got interested in women's studies. I started taking classes and then the reproductive. I took a course on reproductive health and technologies and it stuck with me. I don't know why. <laughs> Still, I'm exploring this yeah. um, women's health and how and I got into it and it still stays with me. Uh, but I did then uh, research on feminist clinics yeah. in the US, which were established in the 70s, right when the, at the time when abortion became legal again in the US, 1974. So they were established around that time and they were very inspiring to me because they were giving these um, non-medicalized um, care yeah. Uh, to women, like from a peer to a peer, to so-called empower women, but yeah. really um, give them this idea that uh, reproductive health care is not actually a medical issue. It has medical aspects, but that we are not sick when we have to have a, or when we want to have a gynecological exam, when we need birth control, when we give birth, or need abortion, none of this is in itself a medical issue, but it became medicalized and then the 
doctors took power over the women, etc. So I really took on this and then continued with it <laughs> to this day. Now I do more on healthcare and um, yeah. how it affects how when um, health systems change to um, neo, uh, I call it neoliberal health uh, reform. So when they are reformed in a way that more is privatized, bureaucratized, um, and doctors become managers, and how it affects yeah. like abortion, birth control, and uh, birth, uh, all these things. What I hear you saying, or what kind of rises in me when you talk about, you know, that we, uh, about women medicalizing women's issues, that we've lost the tradition of, you know, raising women and girls in a way of being fond of their body and understanding what their bodies are and how they can trace what's going on with the body to to really see whether the body is in an expression of health you mm -hmm. know and then or whether it's not but we have come to just manage all our issues uh, instead you know like we're suppressing symptoms a lot of uh, women have probably had an sti you know um, is, that, is that right like in, um, sexually transmitted infection. yeah and a minor one even you know like or they have uh, uti unit you know urinary yeah. tract infection yeah. Yeah, and, things, yeah. yeah and we're medicalizing it instead of saying like what is the body trying to say that is that touching upon what the work looked like in those clinics in the u.s or it does it does uh, of course then i mean when i did the <laughs> research it was the 2000s and that's exactly what i was wondering how they were doing like 30 years after the women's health movement in the US and when they were first established and then 30 years later how they were navigating both the conservative backlash because they were giving abortions these clinics also and yeah. how kind of the protesters were quite violent uh, on the women coming on the staff also it took its toll hmm. but but also they had to navigate the medical system and all very interesting things. Um, but it was still quite inspiring. And I took that inspiration and I'm still, I am looking forward to actually now maybe having more clinics that are autonomous like this uh, with medical staff. Yeah. But with medical staff with, Hopefully, feminist and um, also conscious feminist consciousness, but also I'm I would like to bring this like I mean what you're doing like what we're calling alternative, but they are ancient <laughs> medicine yes. healing yeah. methods yeah. Uh, to the work. Um, yeah. But in the U.S., I used to have a book which is now in turkey i think i'm here but the book is <laughs> in istanbul but i had found this book in a used bookstore and all these um non-medical recipes herbal med uh, med med uh, medicine basically yeah. and i uh, used it uh, for myself and when sometimes told my friends hmm. uh, and i remember one time when my mm, period didn't come for 40 days 
yeah. and I was getting more and more bloated and there was no way I was going to be pregnant except Virgin Mary version. <laughs> <laughs> so, I read, so I read in the book and then I forgot the name of this um, plant, but it's like a nettle, but uh, mm-hmm. stinging nettle, but uh, what is it called? So I went to the little store and I got it and then the woman was very nice uh, young woman she said but uh, you're not using it for abortion right uh, because she said if people i mean might but she said if you do because it's going to bring the uh, bleeding flow. Yeah. Uh, flow. Uh, yeah and then she said if you are just i mean make sure also to get a follow-up but she said people don't know because they use the drop with the oils and that's not the way this is the right like the herbs so it's really i mean there are certain things that we forgot <laughs> and we are but have gone lost yeah between lost, everything but not else. completely maybe it's kind of hmm. uh, many people are maybe finding the traditions or remembering and relearning the traditions. I think more and more women are prepared to have like a more natural relationship to their bodies and they find so when they become pregnant, you know, this this is the very kind of expression of nature that distinguishes us so clearly from men, you know, that we have the capability mm-hmm. of of giving life in in connection with the men of course uh, but we have we are carrying this and it increases that sensation that we are women and that there is something special around us and um, once we start acknowledging that that's what i observe is that we are noticing that we haven't been acknowledging it but trying to take away everything that's blocking us uh, to survive in this society unless we wanted to become like mothers mother mothers i mean there's still women out there who like to be like mothers of seven to 14 children you know i know a few Mm -hmm. and so they see that as a calling in a nice way and society uh, you know is asking us to use our brains as women as well i mean you are an academic you know you certainly know how to and so where do we put ourselves in the scenario of not rendering just to be woman, but also to be a human being with capabilities to bring evolution to society, you know, like, um, and having impact in whatever we have experienced or not. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm realizing it's a great power, actually. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, there is a great power that, uh, yes, I th- I also agree that it has been suppressed yes. uh, socially and then also mm. individually internalizing all these things that the um, kind of patriarchal, very violent, I think, uh, renditions of feminine. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so funny how it, it, yeah, it, it's funny how it shows in so many situations. Like if it's not birth control, I mean, you stepped upon it uh, by saying, you know, like if you're not pregnant, what can you be? You can, if you're younger, you might not have menopause. But when we look at women that kind of struggle with menopause, it's also clear that what happened on developing our femalehood, or however one says that properly is that we didn't know how to take female hygiene and i don't mean the literal hygiene but i mean the female mental hygiene 
and the taking care of ourselves serious because when we end up on the other side in menopause, a lot of us get symptoms that we don't need to have, you know, and there's a lot of experts out there that go back into all the traditions. You're like, yeah, but it's easy to remedy if you start a little bit early, if you teach your you know, teenagers even, and the 20s and the women in the 30s on how to stay with re the balances of, for example, rest and activity, mm -hmm. no? so, because that's yeah. a different energy. Again, you know, it kind of points me back to, in my head, it points me back to <laughs> that male energy. You know, men often need to do things to relax and women need to rest to truly relax and but if we're constantly in the competition in our head then we don't do that because while we are resting the men get things done and then suddenly they're ahead and then it means you're not being heard and then mm. you know like so mm. but I, I also I mean like when I teach or when we teach these things like women's studies also oh, something we mention and, <laughs> and I keep having sometimes these small discussions on Facebook. Uh, I, I had one on the Women's Day with a friend. Hmm. But how, I mean, the masculine and the feminine is not equal to female and male either so that we have these energies, both of both genders have these energies also. Yes, but yes how, absolutely. How, like we said, yeah, like the world for the most of the Western civilization, I guess that yeah. dominates, has taken over, or maybe some other civilizations too, not just the Western, but uh, has kind of gone with the one version of the masculine um, mm. and to the expense of the other masculine and the feminine also. Mm. Yeah. And um, having now spent a little bit more time than expected on this <laughs> because Aisha is, you know, she is so much more than that. She is just a super loving soul that has gone through a lot of changes and travels. And um, you went to the, U you lived in the U.S. quite a while until you had to return to your home country. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Did you want to yeah. talk a little bit about um, your yeah. own history of travels and what travels? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the modern day dervish. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so I was in the U.S. Uh, for 19 years, um, and then I, my father became sick. Uh, first, my mother passed away in 2000. I think it was nine, uh, and it was not expected. It was very quick, very traumatic. And then my dad's uh, illnesses came to the, I mean, the ones existing and new ones came to the surface. And I have, uh, I have observed, this is a little parenthesis, that men have a harder time when the women leave before. Uh -huh. What not, but uh, not all, but a lot of men that I observed, at least in the Turkish situation. But uh, so I, my, as my, my father became more and more sick in different sicknesses and complications got worse so first I went back and then to take care a little bit and then I went back for good and uh, resigned from the US uh, thing yeah. uh, position um, and that was 2013 and then my dad passed in 2014 but I decided to stay in Turkey and I was going to set roots in Istanbul um, where I'm mm -hmm. from 
where I was raised. I said, enough of US. <laughs> I've done it. I live. And I like being back in Istanbul. <laughs> Crazy city. Yes. Very good energy for me uh, also. Um, but uh, so I stayed. Uh, and my vision was to settle in Istanbul, set roots, but then travel around, but have home as Istanbul. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was the vision, at least, uh, aim, uh, hope. And then in, I got a job in a university as a psychology, actually, acting chair and faculty, whatnot. Um, and then 2016, um, we signed the peace petition as uh -huh. uh, 1,200 uh, something academics. Um, yeah. And uh, that uh, was asking the government actually to stop the heavy-handed military occupation and operations uh, in the southeast of Turkey. Um, so we signed it and it's called Academics for Peace Petition. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so what we were saying was these were too heavy and um, there were human rights violations and mm -hmm. Could you go back to the negotiations with the Kurdish yeah. parts, basically, etc.? So two days after this, uh, I signed, uh, and each of us signed with a different reason. We are very different. Twelve hundred people, I mean, in Turkey signing something together. Yeah, um, and academics specifically, including graduate students, but. Um, I signed it because I thought it was the, maybe the last uh, option to scream or say something before mm. full authoritarian regime comes through. Mm. And many people also did, uh, and for other reasons too. Uh, but um, two days after the press release of uh, Erdogan, our president called me and my colleague and then we lost our jobs and then many of my colleagues lost their jobs and some lost their passports etc but what ended for me so what uh, that came to is <laughs> for a while i um, i mean fear came first hmm. because uh, there were colleagues who were arrested taken under custody we were told not to be in our homes the first weekend uh, if uh, if the police comes and we're taking to custody the weekend there's no judge so you have to spend mm -hmm. the weekend in jail yeah. 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 so they said don't be at home <laughs> but also take your laptop and get out and so i went to stay with a friend and etc so um first weeks uh I mean, we were watching, we were doing legal things to protect ourselves, giving representation to a lawyer, etc. But after, so I used the things actually I knew from Qigong and meditation mm -hmm. to recenter. Yeah. And I, I sensed it because I sensed the fear. Okay, like, I mean, they could come for me, they could come for a lot of us. Um, yeah. Um, and no idea how it's going to fare. So I settled a bit. It was very hmm. um, helpful. Were you aware at the time that if you sign a paper like that under the conditions that the country was in, that it could have such a big impact on your life that you might end up in prison for it? Or 
was that while signing was that not so much on your mind uh, not no i mean i sensed because it's the language of the petition was quite strong yeah so when i read it i mm. thought mm, okay uh this could get me into trouble and this could cause trouble i never uh, imagined the level of the trouble and level of what happened to people basically but i sensed it intuitively mm. and then i just thought okay maybe i mean at most i could get a disciplinary action from the university or lose my job but mm -hmm. that's as far as i yeah got yeah wow so that must have been quite a big shock to the system to be aware that you know once you're imprisoned and there's many countries that once you get imprisoned you don't know what circumstances you can be held under that is still like one of the bigger truths out there um then you kind of it spiraled you into a bit of a travel and you know you moved countries yeah, then you yeah, yeah so at the end of april i first left for france i got a, a two-month um, visiting scholarship in paris yes. and then this was the time sand flooded uh -huh. <laughs> <with the rain. laughs> so all of us we were taking pictures of flooded sand <laughs> it was fun yeah um, and i love paris I, uh -huh. <laughs> It's my first place out of Turkey in that situation, but also very, um, I find it very aesthetic, very fun place also. Yeah. But first two months I was there and then I was going to return to Istanbul. And in the meantime, um, through a friend's contacts, and again, something I did not imagine at all, I gave my CV and said, of course, I, I, I would apply. This was a position in Switzerland, Lausanne. But it came through. <laughs> wow. And again, I was, oh, yeah, like, I mean, they might contact me, they might not, but they did. <laughs> mm -hmm. Surprised and things moved quite fast. And I was going to come back to Turkey from Paris and then prepare and then go to Lausanne. I mean, mm. shut the apartment, close the apartment, take another big suitcase, etc. And then the coup happened. <laughs> yeah. In, in Turkey, uh, in Turkey, 15th of um, July. So I decided not to go back and I <clears throat> asked uh, Lausanne, the international office, etc., whether I could get the visa from uh, Europe and then come. Yeah. yeah. So interestingly, I found myself out. <laughs> I mean, I could have gone back. There was nothing on my passport. And I want to mention many of my friends also uh, here, I mean, they were left in Europe when they lost the passports. The, the passports were cancelled. Those were more dire, actually, even uh, mm -hmm. dire situations that they couldn't, even if they want to go back. I chose not to go back and switch. Yeah. But basically, then France and then Switzerland and then here <laughs> I am. Yeah. In <laughs> Where you received very, I mean, you didn't receive it here, but you had to go back to Turkey to receive the results of the consequential, consequential trial of what happened at the time. Um, do you quickly want to talk about that event, like going back to Turkey and, you know, going back to the hearing where you kind ah, of... Actually, mm -hmm. I didn't have to go to the hearing mm. because mine was postponed. I was going to go, but before that, uh, the government 
decided to give acquittals. Yes. So mine was one of those, uh, like the file itself without me appearing hmm. at all in court. Uh, the lawyer followed the case and many, many cases were like this too, that uh, some already got the sentences and then they had to be uh, kind of re-evaluated and equit acquitted. Hmm. Um, but mine was because it wasn't seen yet anyway, then it was a um, kind of a quicker acquittal. But I learned it on my birthday. <laughs> ah, what a beautiful <laughs> gift. Interesting. What a nice gift. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. But I went to Turkey. So after four years, this January, this past January, hmm. um, I felt the nourishment. So hmm. of the land, of the people. Um, that so i as i travel in the world and internally and externally i have this question of what's home yeah. and coming home yeah. <laughs> how yeah. do you come home <laughs> to yourself and come home and what is home is it related to a geography a landscape or do you carry it with you uh, etc um, and I'm still, I mean, this is not resolved completely, yet I do know from this January also more that, I mean, Turkey has a different frequency for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and Turkey, I also call it Anatolia, I mean, with this ancient mm. civilizations. And one day, one day, I hope soon that in Turkey we will realize the multiculturalism of this, like the mm -hmm. richness of this, instead of stupidly thinking I am Turkish, Kurdish, this, that, that we will not even currently, like from the Hittites, etc., all these civilizations that passed, Byzantine, Byzantine, etc., yeah. all these that we will see. So for me, there's something in the land that nourishes. And then there are other things here and possibly elsewhere also that will keep teaching me. Yeah, and um, as you say, I think everything is such a journey, you know, it's not an inner journey. I mean, my whole perception of not only the outer travel to, to initiate a different perspective on life, but the inner journey that I commence with starting a yoga practice and then following mm -hmm. yoga teachers i always was in the misunderstanding of that there is a goal and i think there is no goal you know because life expands and expands and it's more an understanding and not so much a reaction but a, a compromise of reacting and uh, leading you know like that we have the chance to be like you an inspiration for people you know like for women and a very lovely meditation teacher to stay centered and with yourself as much as we and so you have to react to circumstances that develop around us like the um, circumstances with your family circum political circumstances and now we're in the middle of health circumstances you know where people are not really allowed to go and travel and as we're in the middle of the coronavirus mm -hmm. um, 
I used to say scare, but I don't know what to name. Momentum, maybe, you know, so. <laughs> renewal, uh, maybe. Uh, renewal, yes. Cleansing, uh, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, and that is, a true, that is a true goal, to become more and more centered. Do you find that as well? Um, instead of feeling that we can create something and then just sit with that um, created thing like for some people it's just having a household and a family and a dog and a job mm -hmm. and whenever we do that we start to shrivel we you know we get fixed mindsets and we get um, lost in the masculine more than in the feminine which is like creative we need to hold both equally in in our beings and that to me is the inner journey you know through the different techniques mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I and I like the words, but not only the word, but um, responding instead of reacting. So, um, to like two days ago, I felt very tense. <laughs> Was it two days mm -hmm. ago? Like before Merkel made the uh, statement. Yeah. I don't know if I sensed the tension or I was already tense and sensed it, whatever happened. But um, then I was thinking, okay, like, what's my desire? <laughs> what's, where's the fear? What's the desire behind it? And I had, I'm listening to, I've been listening to uh, Tara Brack and I saw you, you, we, yeah, we looked at the same link of, creating a home retreat. But I listened to her, uh, one of her talks on desires and I can send it to you. And I want to re-listen to it and do a little more of the meditations she did with the crowd when she gave the talk. But very interesting um, that she, when she says, okay, so look at the desire, um, of course, hopefully without judgment, to see actually what is beneath it and then go a little further a little deeper a little deeper and then she says till you come to the real longing yeah which is actually something that is really loving and it brings love back to yourself and i love the way that then she put it too because it's something actually that you are missing or you think you are missing <laughs> you sense that you are missing yeah and it's, it's a call for that. So when I had this tension and then I thought, okay, like, what am I desiring? What's the problem here? Okay, I want control, <laughs> I guess. Apparently, I, I kind of, this situation is getting out of control because people are toilet paper needy <laughs> and whatever. Whatever that is. <laughs> Before we didn't. <laughs> we didn't know there was water to clean ourselves with. <laughs> we just believe in, in paper these days. <laughs> no, I mean, my friends and I, we left because, uh, I mean, I use soap actually more anyway. Uh, the normal, yeah. the, not the liquid, the mm -hmm. solid soap. And then we thought, okay, I mean, people were not using soap before. Like, what's the scare or not using toilet paper? <laughs> what not? But so... Uh, when I realized, okay, this is like an urge to control, to, to gain control, some sense of control, mm -hmm. stability, let's say, also even better. And then I thought, okay, I mean, when do we have control anyway? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh -huh, yeah. 
like, where's the trust? Yeah, where's the trust? Yeah. I hear where's the trust? And at the same time, where are the true desires? You know, we have been living in fields of uh, man-made dreams, you know, where we're losing what we feel is our dream. I mean, I'm working with somebody on that subject very intensely, you know, to, to really uncarve and unravel what is the desire deep in within us without the as you say you know attachments or judgments around desires um the immediate desires often but to see what because when we come to to that very contentment and as you say not a reaction but as um you know a doing and a response to what is in us, we can be so much more happy. And we see a lot of people being unhappy these days, right? Yeah, I so mean, centering is really, I mean, I, as you said, whatever uh, people have as a daily practice, or if they don't have one, I would recommend to <laughs> get one now. It's a good chance. It's a good time to start a and practice. Yeah, and we don't need to uh, punish ourselves over if we miss a day or an hour or whatever, but at least have whatever they find touches their heart. Is it yoga, tai chi, dance, <laughs> singing, yeah. chanting, meditation, sitting meditation, walking meditation, whatever. And even art. writing can be such a central Writing, practice. art, yeah, yeah. I mean, many things. Yeah. Um, but to yeah spend some time centering because i mean we don't know how long this will last no idea but also no idea how it's going to evolve yeah. either um so just to yeah i guess stay centered and as they say in that humorous thing yeah. stay calm stay <laughs> like nothing is in our control just <laughs> stay calm yeah stay calm and you know continue <laughs> And meditate and center yeah. yourself and yeah. Well, thank you, Aisha. That was a beautiful conversation. I hope everybody else did enjoy it. Did thank you? you as well so much for the opportunity and for your good yeah. service to the whole, to women, to the feminine, to everything. Mm. Is there a place um, that you would like to announce to the public where they can find you in case people want to? catch up with you and maybe, you know, help you with projects or have mm -hmm. a project for you. Is there something that we can leave to the public? Yeah, um, sure. I mean, I can give my um, email, which we can mm -hmm. also put uh, in the podcast. And yeah. if they Google me, they will also find it, of course. Uh, and I'm aiming to make a website so but since it's not there <laughs> but okay. also if they would like to join the, the meditation classes i give and it's yeah. very fun classes <laughs> I, we do i have the shortly. link i will put this all in yeah. the description so of the podcast so they people can, can try that. follow up yeah if you're in berlin and you want to be with this calming Lady, uh, spending time with you always is so heart-centering for me. <laughs> so I highly recommend it to see her. And yeah, thank you again for coming and we leave everything else to our curiosity. <laughs> yeah, to the comments. <laughs> and to the comments. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> ciao, ciao. 
If you enjoy listening to my podcast, please consider to become a patron at patreon.com slash alexandrakreis and pledge your donation.